talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net. I'm Chance Dorland, and welcome to the Korea Blog Podcast, brought to you by KoreaFM.net, an online radio station featuring 24-7 stream of independent musicians as well as original podcast content from the Korean Peninsula. Uh, This is a new podcast, our second episode, and I'll be joined each time by Colin Marshall, a soul-based essayist, broadcaster, and public speaker who writes each week on the literature, cinema, current events, and daily life in Korea for the Los Angeles Review of Books Korea blog. Uh, Colin, it's been a little while. Uh, We've both traveled. I uh, went to Jeju, and uh, you recently got back from a trip to Japan. Yeah, and I think I might have been to Japan. I don't think I went twice since we last talked. Maybe I went to Japan right before we talked before, but I've been going to Japan an awful lot lately. Uh, It's nice to have it so close. I mean, you've been in Korea longer than I have, so you know how nice it is to have other Asian countries all around you. You can get to them as easily as you could get to, you know, Wisconsin or whatever. (laughs) Like that's as Japan is as close as Portland, you know, from where I was in Los Angeles before. Yeah, it's interesting. Japan is so close. And of course, you know, other countries as well that um, I've been to multiple other Asian countries before I had been to Jeju Island, which is, you know, the place to go in Korea. But because Japan's so close, my sister lives in uh, Shanghai. So I went to visit her. Um, I kind of forgot that there's this wonderful, I think they describe it as semi-tropical islands. Um, I went you know, here in March, so it wasn't really that tropical. <laughs> it was a little cold. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're kind of spoiled for travel. Growing up in Iowa, you drive eight hours, you might be in Chicago, or you might just be in Minnesota. That's something that people from other countries don't understand about America often is just how big the place is and how hard it can be to get from one place to another. And sometimes the places might not be that different. Yeah. And and even if you get to another country, as you mentioned, might not be that different. I've driven to Canada from Iowa um, I don't know why we did it. We just went to gamble, I think, because we were like 18, 19, and we were able to do that. But we drove to friendly Manitoba, Canada, and it was very similar to where we grew up, um, where if you drove yeah. that far in Europe, God knows where you'd end up. You'd be someplace completely different, completely different language, food, and everything. But it's funny that the Jeju thing, it actually represents a historical a piece of Korean history a lot of foreigners won't know about if they're just visiting, like... Jeju, as you know, for so long was really the only destination Korean people were allowed to go. <laughs> like that's the the one place that that uh, people were allowed to go for their um, for their honeymoons, for example. So everybody would go to Jeju for their honeymoon vacation. Was always Jeju. You see that phenomenon to an extent among Americans who can only think as far as Hawaii. But uh, back then it was the law; you couldn't leave. Yeah, with the Hawaii in the United States growing up, you know, pe- people thinking of oh, we're going to go to Hawaii. That was just us being lazy. I mean, Hawaii is <laughs> yeah. not that close. It's just we're like, oh, that's that's one of the 50 states. We'll go there. I can still use the money I have. Oh, that's right. You don't have to change it. Yeah, there we are. Oh, hey, God forbid you had to change money. There we are. The the times, how they change. Both uh, <laughs> Americans living abroad now. Uh, so, yeah, well, we'll hopefully do this a, a little bit more often. But uh, it's so great to travel. And um, we're able mm. to do that right now with our schedules. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to apologize. I had a very good time. And I'm sure you had a great <laughs> time in Japan. Um Today, we're talking about a very different topic than we we spoke about for our first episode. Uh, We're talking about the South Korean novel, The Vegetarian. It's now seen some international exposure after being translated and released in Europe as well as in the United States, um, probably some other markets as well. Um, We'll get to that here in a moment. Um, And you recently covered this book on your Korea blog for the LA Review of Books. And you began by talking about 
This is really interesting how difficult it would be for a vegetarian to, to kind of be here in Korea, so much so that you wrote that they're the only type of person you wouldn't recommend to come visit you here in Seoul. So tell me more about that intro and how that pertains to this novel. Yeah, well, though, of course, the title of the novel is The Vegetarian, so it leads the reader to believe it's going to involve a vegetarian. And it does. And really, the, the first chunk of the book is all about this one lady named uh, Yonghye, who becomes a vegetarian, just suddenly turns vegetarian uh, in Korea, which to a lot of readers who don't know Korea that well, it might not seem that notable. Uh, but to anybody with some experience of the country, uh, they'll have a good sense of just how hard it is to to be vegetarian here. Or I mean, I'm not vegetarian, so I should say it's how hard it would be or how hard I imagine it would be. I mean, I know a few vegetarians here, but that one of them owns a cafe. So she's, you know, her job is cooking vegan food uh she's actually vegan so you know she's it got so bad that she had to start her own cafe <laughs> i think that's part of it yeah and then another another i know a guy in busan he's actually a pretty well-known academic who's also vegan and uh, i think he just eats at home a lot and eats you know indian food i think is really the key they can make vegan food for you but uh that there's other places like this. Japan has its own problems. From what I understand, Japan is a bit more accommodating uh, to vegans and vegetarians. But Korea, though, that way of life hasn't really... I don't want to say it hasn't developed here yet because it seems like I don't want to hold up, you know, oh, America is a place where there's vegetarians, therefore that's more advanced. I don't know if it's a the natural progression of societies to like have more vegetarianism as they go along, but it is not it's not understood very well. So when this protagonist, although she's not the narrator, she's just a protagonist that various other characters uh, interact with and we see her through them, uh, Yonghye in the vegetarian when she turns vegetarian it's a real disruption and part of the challenge of this novel in english i think is to convey why it's a disruption because really if you turn vegetarian in america even in a conservative place it's not nobody is going to look at you funny i mean i, I assume that iowa is where you came from is not i gotta say maybe i'll i'll be a little contrary here. I was a vegetarian okay, for ahead. three years in college, and this started um, my senior year of high school. It, you know, my friends, you know, we were, we were kind of like the, the rat pack, you know, at my <laughs> school. We were the funny kids, and, you know, uh, we, we didn't have plays when we were in high school, but my two older sisters, they had, you know, a thriving theater department. For some reason, it just shut down, so we, like, challenged the school, and we're like, we want theater, you know, because we just wanted to be up on stage and have laughs and stuff like that, and, you know, when I go back, the younger kids who uh, who knew me then, who are now adults, you know, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Chance Dorling, because I was just this clown, you know, of a guy. <laughs> um and that being the case, it was weird when my senior year of high school, I decided to become a vegetarian in rural Iowa in a town of like a thousand people. Now, we were 30 minutes driving distance from Des Moines. So, you know, there was civilization on the horizon. Right. And it got to the point that not only was I, you know, I'm not trying to say what was me, but not only was I just made fun of by people in general, but my friends, you know, we went to McDonald's a lot. They would buy a hamburger and put it in front of me and be like, Chance, eat this. And I'd be like, no, that's okay. I don't want to eat it. And they'd say, okay, I'm going to throw it away unless you <laughs> eat it. 
And so I... Uh, Actually, this is, this is... A, it's a fair point you're making. It's true. And we should draw a distinction. As you mentioned, Des Moines is not that far away. And if you were growing up in Des Moines itself, you might have had an easier time, let alone if you were growing up in, say, San Francisco, where you might get a hard time if you weren't a vegetarian. Yeah, it'd be the but, opposite. I would have been beating up my friends. Exactly. So this, this, this scene from your real life, though, where you have friends, you know, holding up a hamburger in your face and saying, if you don't eat it, I'm going to throw it away. I mean, it's not a million miles from the scenes in the vegetarian where uh, Yong-hye's relatives, especially the sort of shocked older generation, there's one scene, one of the most important in the book, where her dad is this really taciturn, uh, militaristic, old old generation Ajoshi type. He He's so bothered by Yong-hye's refusal to eat meat that he just grabs a, uh, a piece of pork, barbecued pork with his chopsticks and tries to force it into uh, into her mouth and she just clenches her teeth uh, and it's sort of it's this really visceral primal reaction she's not going to eat it and it's equally visceral and primal on the part of her father he feels like he's got to force her to eat it and this is a scene that ends with her trying to kill herself then and there so it's a very dramatic book in a lot of ways and more dramatic than you being taunted with the burger but there's a similar phenomenon yeah? I was going to say I, I didn't try to end my life in that McDonald's um... no but it's not that different like it, it, it bothered your friends in, in kind of the oh, same oh, it way it definitely bothered them I, I don't think I could describe it in a better way than just saying it bothered people. Yeah. But why do you think that happened? Uh, I was like this bleeding heart liberal growing up in my small town. But then when I went to school in Boston, I was in a lot of ways much more conservative than some of my friends, you know, where I went to school at Emerson. So um, it was just hard to be a little different. And I'm and, I, and like I said, you know, not saying woe is me, but like it, now looking back, it, it was hard to be a little different. Yeah. Right, right, right. It, it, it depends on, it's what different is changes depending on the context. So it's 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 funny because being it's one thing if you're from say Iowa or you're from Korea, uh, and you're expected to fit in with the norms. But really, with a situation like we have, where we're visible foreigners uh, here in Korea, we're never gonna. No one expects us to fit in. No, people don't really want us to fit in. First oh of yeah, all, so. I, that you're really hitting them out of the park today, Colin, uh, with these descriptions. I, yeah, living as a you know an obvious Westerner, Caucasian you know fellow here in Seoul, there is this general lack of an expectation for us to fit in so much so that um, I had to go to the doctor recently and you know my name is Chance Dorland but I've lived here for a couple of years so my official name on like Korean documents is Do Chan Su because when you write Chance Dorland in Hangul it's like Chan Su Dorland and there's <laughs> there's a double L which then I got a credit card that my name was spelled incorrectly even though I gave them my passport because they just didn't look at one so it, I just decided to change my name to something that was a little easier when I go to the hospital everyone thinks I'm Korean and they're so blown away and I can speak a little bit of Korean and then they say do you eat Korean food oh what, the same 20 questions yeah I I oh I only eat Korean food they go oh my gosh you, you speak Korean you only eat Korean food you're you're like a Korean man and the reason that's so astonishing to them is because there's such a lack of of um, effort on the part of many Westerners, but there's no idea, in my opinion, of Koreans that we should have to adapt to their lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's it goes two ways, definitely. And being a Westerner here, my instinct is to complain about other Westerners and say, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, why why don't? I mean, often it's for me the because I came here in large part because of an interest in the Korean language. So it often bothers me to see people who've been here 10, 20, 30 years who have made very little effort uh, to learn the language. But that is also 
They always say the same thing, which is that the expectation is pretty low as well on the part of Koreans that you will speak it. So when you have both of those forces working together, sort of an unwillingness on the part of some Westerners to learn it, but also a lack of expectation that they will, uh, it's, it's not going to happen uh, in as, on as large a scale as it does among expats in, say, China. I mean, you mentioned you have a sister who lives in Shanghai. I would imagine she speaks decent Chinese. Well, uh, in that area, you would be wrong, uh, Colin. Her, her boyfriend is Chinese-American, oh, so he okay. is the uh, the Mandarin speaker in that relationship. And um, I'm sure she can say a few words here and there. But uh, when I visited her um, last year uh, in January, I didn't hear a single word come out of her mouth. So. That's, that's a surprise. The long-term Westerners, the long-term Western expats I've known for, who, who are in China or in Japan, they tend to speak pretty well the local language uh but then the, it just the level drops markedly when you get to korea but also especially versus china i mean as i understand it i've never lived in china chinese people uh won't chinese people will expect you to speak some chinese if you're out in society and if you don't you may i mean you may get robbed blind ultimately yeah. in, in life and, and, that, and that happened when i was buying some things at a market my sister's boyfriend came to my rescue and and, and literally he told them you're just trying to rip off this foreigner and, <laughs> and they got really upset <laughs> well, he, called call him, he calls him as he sees him yeah but i i think you're, you're absolutely right my sister it's really funny i mentioned how growing up in iowa it was hard to be different my sister and i are very different people a lot of the time so she lives with her boyfriend you know he speaks uh, mandarin like a native speaker uh, which you know he grew up in a home where that was his his language so yeah he probably would be labeled as a native so right. she's able to you know take advantage of that but you know i have friends from college who live in china i have a very good friend from college whose brother has actually become kind of like um this youtube comedy star he does stand up comedy in uh chinese language wow um, he had a fulbright there and so you know, he learned the skills and he decided to stay so I, I think you're absolutely right just my experience of expats in china and japan versus korea Pretty, pretty large disconnects um, in language here in Korea versus the other two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and language is only part of it. I mean, it's as as we're just we're using it in this conversation as kind of a proxy or a synecdoche for the various ways in which you're not expected to adapt to Korean life. So a vegetarian foreigner is actually not weird because to to Koreans it seems like because you're already kind of weird as a foreigner. Yeah. So if if you're if you're if you turn vegetarian or come as a vegetarian, you will have an inconvenient time in Korea. You could live here. People make it work. Uh, but I don't think you'll be thought of as any weirder by Koreans. But if you are a Korean and you have a very traditional family, and there are, of course, non-conservative families as well who, who won't uh, be bothered by this. But for the most part, I think the situation will be, if not as dramatic as Young Hye's in The Vegetarian, you'll, you'll make some waves and you won't want to make those waves either. I mean, not getting in trouble is a big part of life here. Exactly. Um, and so to, to return to this vegetarian, nice side note that we had that was a lot of fun. But yeah, getting back to the vegetarian, um, as I mentioned at the top, it's getting quite a lot of attention. Um, and so you're, in your opinion, why so much press now? Obviously, the translations are happening now, so that has a lot to do with it. But right. um, it, does this kind of represent the beginning of, you know, if you like if there's like glass and you make a crack, it's a small crack and then quickly it spreads across the entire plane. Is this the beginning of Korean authors getting out who, you know, have yet to be translated, but just see this and they think that this could be the start of something? Because, you know, it looks like this is going over very well internationally. It is. It's it's getting a huge amount of press, especially by the standards of Korean novels and English, which traditionally have not got much press at all. Whether this is the start of anything, it's hard to say because the, the 
boom if you want to call it a boom it's already it's early stages have kind of already been happening i mean there was an article before the vegetarian came out in the u.s it was out in the uk before there was an article in the new yorker about the um, korean push for the nobel prize and the various authors there's really only one or two who are ever brought up as candidates for that so korea itself in pushing for a nobel has given a lot of government support to literature and then an interest, a general interest in Korea has also simultaneously been developing in the West. I mean, in the rest of Asia, for, you know, the sort of Korean wave thing has been sweeping across Asia. It hasn't got to the West in quite the way some people believe it has here. But in general interest in Korea is at a high point. But it was at such a low point, a non-existent point before, that the, the necessary factors have all been coming together very slowly. And it's not like... It's not like there's any kind of craze developing from what I can see, but the interest has never been higher in things Korean and, literat and literature in Korean. There's more than ever that's out now. Um, you know, the Dalky Archive Press is bringing out, they've been bringing out what they call the Library of Korean Literature, a set of, I think they're up to over 30 now, um, novels and books of short stories, which are very popular in Korea. I've been writing a bit about those on the Korea blog as well, but the vegetarian has been a singular sort of presence in in the media and it, of course it first got big in england as i said the translator deborah smith is actually she's quite young i i know her actually she's a friend i met up with her in uh what what koreatown london has a couple of years ago over on tottenham court road for a very expensive uh korean meal but it's uh she's a good translator and uh she's she's very astute in general and she is especially astute about uh knowing how to market a book and as i understand it a lot of the publicity push has come directly from her. She's really been trying to get this book out. So it's had, the stars have aligned well for the vegetarian in English, especially because it, it has a good translator. It has a translator who understands Korean culture and a translator who is helping to push it as well, which you don't usually get. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Korean novels do get translated into English. I, well, maybe not a lot, but a, a healthy amount get translated. But oftentimes, publication is just once they get printed your publication equals printing there's never any promotion there's never any attempt to get it out there so this is one this is the rare case where you see the results of actually getting it out there uh, and it really does work but also because the uh, the novel itself is i think it's it's a it's a book that westerners will find striking because of what it reveals about uh, you know this other culture they might not know very well, and it does it in a dramatic way that's both it's both very viscerally real but also kind of surreal it's not totally a dreamlike or anything like that but it's it's weird and it combines this sort of harsh reality with uh, uh, with a kind of weirdness that works well I mean you know you think of creators like uh, David Lynch or even Authors like, this is going to sound like a strange comparison, but Stephen King, I think, is whatever you think of Stephen King, his ability to combine very weird things with very real kind of sort of the griminess of life uh, is what makes him so effective to so many readers. And The Vegetarian has a little bit of that. Something I want to talk about before we get to the Nobel Prize issue, which you recently just mentioned, when is the promotion going to happen here in Korea? Because... As you know, you know, riding the subway in, or, or a train in, in Japan, you'll see quite a few people reading books or reading newspapers. I lived in Germany. I was back recently. I, I saw the same thing. You see people reading 
lots of things on the subway here in Seoul, but it's never a book and it's never a newspaper. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's always, they're always on their phones and they could be doing anything on there. I, I only get a glimpse occasionally. Often they're just on Kakao Talk. I'll go ahead and tell you that I, I do a lot of people watching and I look and I see what they're looking at. It's usually comic books or websites or Facebook. People always say like, oh, they could be reading a digital copy of a book. They're not. I always right, check right. because I want to call people out on this. Koreans just don't read their own authors. Yeah, there's there's that. That's You don't see a lot of evidence of it in public life in that way. But then it's weird because I was just yesterday checking out a branch of Aladdin, which is a bookstore I like because they sell used books here in Korea. So whenever I want a Korean book, I look at Aladdin first. And I, I found a branch close to where I live here in Shincheon. And it was... It was uh, the middle of a Sunday, and it was packed. I mean, the place was full of people buying books, and uh, enthusiastically, I might add. And you look at the actual... <laughs> I like that. They were enthusiastic. They were enthusiastic, uh, as, as Koreans can be. And, I mean, when you go to a bigger bookstore like a Kyobo, uh, it's, it's, like, it's almost like a theme park. I mean, people are really into going to bookstores and buying books. I don't know if they... It's you know you can you can never tell whether they read them or not. They're not doing it on the subway. I see the occasional book on the subway, but the majority is of course phones, um, and maybe they read them at home. But people, there's so much made of, and this is Korea watchers will laugh at this because. I'm going to bring up the OECD statistics and yeah. you know, Korean <laughs> people people who are who write about Korea and who get Korean reactions to to global issues. The OECD statistics are sort of a bugbear. You know, they they people think here think that they just were invented to make Korea look bad because Korea yeah, doesn't Korea work. never really does too well. They're always number 1 on on the really bad categories. Yeah, and they they it's low on some of the good categories like uh whenever there's a study OECD or otherwise for amount of reading the extracurricular reading done by students or non-work related reading done by uh, adults it, it always ranks fairly low and i actually i know i know a novelist here in korea who's i think he's actually one of the best known novelists in korea but he says he routinely gets this question from people people ask him to his face i don't have time to read all your books so what's one book of yours i should read so there it's much is made of the lack of time to read but the book market seems to be growing so you have these two you have these two seemingly incompatible trends but also i mean if you really think about the history of the country they've got to have more time to read than before it makes sense that during the pak chung hee days people didn't have a lot of time to read but now i mean there there seems to be a bit more flexibility even if it just means people aren't don't have as there's not as much work to go around right so <laughs> what are you going to do with your time maybe reading is a solution there yeah. And I like Korea. You know, I think we both like Korea. We choose to be here. So I'm not trying to kick Korea while it's down. Maybe people are reading at home. Um, but it's just this is a really obvious difference. Um, even in, in the States, when I went to school in Boston or where I lived in New York, never took a, any public transportation. When I lived in L.A. Um, <laughs> L.A., you, you have some room to improve. Well, they're getting there. Expo line opens in May. You're getting there. Slow, slow, but steady, L.A. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of L.A. It's OK. <laughs> and I, I know you're a big fan of the area. Um, but, yeah, the, I would love to see more books here uh, on the subway. Um, and, and I would love to see people you know, reading like a Kindle like device or something like that. But it's just it's such an obvious difference. I don't think I've ever seen anyone reading a newspaper uh, on the subway here in Seoul other than maybe like a 55 or older um, you know, gentleman in, in a suit who would read probably like, you know, the, the business section, something like that. Right. Um, but one of the reasons why this is important is because, as you mentioned, 
Nobel Prize. Um, this yeah. is something that's getting a bit of a push here in Korea. Never won the Nobel Prize. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years, perhaps because Japan ha- has been able to bring some down, and there's always you know some competition there. Um, I've heard of talk about getting more translation of Korean's uh, work out into the world, but as you mentioned, you know that that's been happening, maybe not promoted, but it's been happening. And I even read an article where. Um, Someone uh, high up on, on this process of trying to get Korea a Nobel Prize said that the Nobel Committee should just learn Korean. I, I like that quote. That was in the New Yorker article. Yeah, and, and that's that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but a, as you mentioned, there is this push, um, and more parts of the world are going to know about Korean literature than ever before. But as Koreans themselves are often not reading their own authors, as we've already just talked about, is that really... Uh, achievable goal anytime in the future. I mean, Korea is more known for Samsung and shipbuilding than anything else, no matter how good any of its authors might be. So do you think that this might be a reality anytime in the near future? Or does more, you know, more bricks need to be built on the foundation before we can ever start talking about a Nobel Prize? Well, the funny thing is, I mean, you mentioned Japan and whenever... Whenever it seems like it might be Japan's turn for the Nobel, everybody talks about Haruki Murakami, who's probably, I would say he's the most internationally popular novelist alive. And uh, his name keeps getting brought up. Um, There's always murmurs whenever it seems like Japan might get a Nobel for literature. It might be Murakami, and it never is. Or at least it's so far, it hasn't been him. But the important thing to remember about why his name keeps coming up is because, unlike many Japanese writers, he, he writes with a very deliberate international outlook. Um, his writing in Japanese, the translators will tell you, even even in Japanese sounds like it's been translated from English. So it's sort of, glo- it's written with even, even the, at a language level, it's globally written. His cultural references are often non-Japanese, uh, often they're American. Uh, so Murakami is this, this figure where he seems like a promising Nobel candidate. I would think in large part, because of his 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 deliberately international writing. Now, there's not a lot of Korean writers who are writing deliberately internationally. I mean, Deborah Smith herself, the translator of The Vegetarian, in one article she had this quote, which, which gets to a lot of the point here. She says, unlike many Korean books, many Korean writers, many Korean novels that are too inward-looking to travel, uh, The Vegetarian... It's not it's not so tied up in Korean self-examination. I mean, it's 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 definitely a critique of Korean society on a lot of levels, but it's not so deep into I mean if you were negative about it you could call it it's not so navel gazing as some Korean novels. It's not so wrapped up in in uh the condition of Korea that an outsider that a foreigner that a foreign reader can't find their way in. So it's a lot of it, I would guess, is contingent on that. And I mentioned Kim Yong Ha. He is. He did. I, I think. I think I mentioned Kim Yong Ha without naming him. But in any case, Kim Yong Ha is. Uh, he's got a few books out in English from major publishers. It's uh, like Black Flower. Your Republic is calling you. Um, I have the right to destroy myself. He's become, I think, the best known, at least of the under fifty, uh, underage fifty novelists in Korea. Become the best known internationally. I don't know if he's really writing in order to get a Nobel Prize, but he does have the internationalism that uh, you seem to need to get a Nobel Prize. So the, I guess we'll be looking out for what Korean writer can can both seem can both be internationally appealing and doesn't seem to be 
you know, not you can't be too popular. I think that might be Murakami's problem as well with the Nobel Prize. If you're too, if if you're selling too many books, it might be an issue. So it's a really tough nut to crack if you're trying to do it deliberately. I mean, think about think about this: how many countries have deliberately crafted uh, their Nobel Literature Prize winner? I think very few have. But there's an idea that's current in Korea that you can just sort of force your way through if uh, like you do with washing machines or you do with ships or you do with anything else that korea has sold to the world if you just get up to spec you know spec being a favorite word here in korea you just get a product up to spec it'll 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 crack it'll crack the problem and it'll uh it'll gain the country recognition you know but that, that's that might not be the best way to go about it. Again, this is something experts will cover. They covered in the uh, talked about in the New Yorker New Yorker article. So I'm not the first one to say it by any means. Yeah, I've heard that uh, before, but just as you mentioned it now, it kind of makes me think that maybe this this uh, this won't work out as as I planned it. But Psy, you know, yes. the Gangnam Style breakthrough artist who brought basically you know K-pop to the U.S. Because no matter what you say, you know, K-pop is really not that popular in the u.s but everyone knows <laughs> yeah. what gangnam style is i was in the yeah. peace corps in Colombia, and the first time i heard gangnam style um they had a remix in front of like a store in my neighborhood some guy was just yeah. you know uh, you know kind of um freestyle into gangnam style and there was some nice local beats added but no one predicted that and he right. wasn't trying to do that but he succeeded so you kind of need this person who might have some fame but Sai was n- not an A-lister no one thought it was going to come out he was older and you just have right. this breakthrough hit and it was exactly what they needed but n- he wasn't trying to do that exactly I think Sai is an astute example to bring up this would be a good analogy for literature because I don't like Sai it's probably not going to be when and if Korea wins a Nobel Prize in literature, it's not going to be who they expect. Because you know, when Psy broke, from what I understand here in Korea, it was all just, well, the, wasn't it supposed to be Girls' Generation? Or wasn't it supposed to be one of these boy bands whose names I don't even know? And wasn't it supposed to be, wasn't it supposed to be one of the artists, one of the groups who had been deliberately groomed to do this, whereas Psy was really not? I mean, he's he he, he definitely has... Looking back, in retrospect, we can see the advantages Psy had in breaking an international market, in becoming a phenomenon. But because that wasn't the stated goal of Psy, uh, he was not expected to become what he has here in Korea. So I guess that's where we'll leave it, Colin. We need a, a literary Psy. Perhaps Psy yeah, can uh, put down his microphone, pick up the, the uh, feather pen, and uh, whoever that would be. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the... And once again, you know, like I would love to see Korea succeed, but um, every time that Japan gets... A, I think they just received the Nobel Prize in conjunction with, a, with another country they shared for, for something. Uh, I remember doing some kind of report on that within the last uh... year or so. Every time Japan gets anything, Korea always looks forward. But you're right, they, they look forward in kind of the spec way. Like, how can right. they produce it? But of course, it's probably going to be something a little bit more organic, like with what happened with Psy. Right. So I've been speaking with Colin Marshall, a soul-based essayist, broadcaster, and public speaker who writes each week on the literature, cinema, current events, and daily life here in Korea for the Los Angeles Review of Books Korea blog as he uh, came over a little bit of a time ago and uh, now Seoul is his home. So, uh, Colin, we'll talk with you next time. Looking forward to it.